Hi, I'm Amanda Weiss, co-host of Drinking and Joshing, Tour with a Twist, and this is our last episode of this season. Hello, I'm Gabe Snyder, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Amanda Catherine Weiss. Shalom, Amanda. How's it going? And as always, we are also joined by executive producer Idan Waldman. Shalom, Idan. Shalom, Gabe. Welcome to Drinking and Drawshing Torah with a Twist. Let's get started. What's up, Gabe? I'm so, so tired. Makes sense. I'm also a little tired. So for all of our listeners, we don't usually get super meta in this podcast, but just to like break the fourth wall for a minute, we're recording this the day after Yom Kippur. Amanda and I have both been at our respective student pulpits. We've been leading services. We've been doing a lot of things. And now... We're just really tired, but we're also so excited to talk about this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is one of my personal favorites. It's Parashat Vezot Habracha, and it's the last Torah portion in the Torah. So here's a little rundown for you. Moses, knowing that his death is drawing near, blesses each of the tribes. He prays for life for Reuben, restoration and protection for Judah, holiness for Levi, security for Benjamin, prosperity for Joseph, happiness and riches for Zebulun, size for Gad, strength for Dan, territory for Naphtali, and the greatest blessings for Asher. Moses then ascends Mount Nebo to the summit of Pisgah, opposite Jericho, and God shows him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, Ephraim, and Manasseh, Judah, the Negev, the plains and valleys, and God reiterates that all of this is the land that was promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The promise is finally being fulfilled, and though Moses sees the whole land, he will not be allowed to enter." Moses, now 120 years old, with undimmed eyes and unabated vigor, then dies by the mouth or command of God. We'll talk about that later. Moses is buried, though his interrer and grave are a mystery. The Israelites mourn for 30 days. At the end of the period of mourning, Joshua, son of Nun, whom Moses had appointed as his successor, takes control of the people. The Torah ends with these words. Never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Eternal singled out face to face for the various signs and wonders the Eternal sent him to show in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, and for the great might and awesome power that Moses himself displayed before all of Israel. And that is Parashat Vizot Habaracha. Incredible. Really, really strong portion. I definitely thought you were going to sing for our audience the song that you have been singing around the entire apartment for the last week, which is Vizota Bracha, the last parasha that we'll be discussing in the Torah. So that's when Gabe's song that he's literally been singing around the entire apartment for the last week, week and a half. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. I'm really glad that you shared that so that I didn't have to. Anything for our listeners. Anything for our game. 
Thank you, Edan. I appreciate that. It's really interesting. When I was listening to you describe it, I thought about our portion of Vayechi, which we did with Jay Debro and Koak Frazier and Kalex Jacobson. This conversation about right, Jacob's deathbed, Israel's deathbed, and how that compares kind of with the words of Moses' deathbed and what that looks like. And when it comes to Jacob, the words aren't so great. They're not so nice. He's not so lovely with his children. And it's really interesting because when you're hearing Moses speak unto the tribes, it's a little bit more gentle. It's a little bit more blessing-like. And I find it really fascinating to put the two next to each other because one is kind of the end of Jacob and that Jewish community as you knew it. We start the Israelite community and it's a little different. And here again, we have this transition of a community as we knew it under Moses to a new community that's going to prosper under Joshua. And I think that's hard, but I think it's really meaningful, especially as we're coming to an end and starting something new. Yeah, I think that that's really important. I think that these blessings are all positive, which is, as you said, is different. But even more so, some of them are more confusing than others, and some of them kind of foreshadow or foretell what's going to happen in the future. For example, we have this blessing where Moses prays for the restoration of Judah. That's a really interesting thing because Judah won't be destroyed for another several generations. And yet we already have this blessing. We already have this prayer kind of foretelling what's going to happen, what we as readers know historically will befall the Israelites and the Judean tribe. So this portion really speaks to you because it gives you a glimpse into the future? I guess you could say that. But there are a few different places where we get a glimpse into the future here. One of my favorites, personally, is when Moses ascends Mount Nebo and God shows Moses the entirety of the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the whole land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean, the Negev and the plain and the valley of Jericho, and as far as Zoar. And what strikes me about this is that those lands don't really exist yet. Those territories have not yet been taken over. And so there's this kind of weird suspension of time where Moses, who's able to see all of this land, is not only able to see this really miraculous distance and this really miraculous amount of space, but also this incredible amount of time. It's almost as if Moses transcends both space and time for a moment, which interestingly is also how we often talk about God transcending space and time. You know, it's a really interesting thing that you talk about transcending space and time, especially because when we read this portion, I'm sure this might surprise people that this episode is going to be released a little later in the week. We wanted to make sure that you had it just a bit before Simchat Torah. But when we read this portion, we always read it in conjunction with Bereshit. So as we're coming to the end of something that we also begin it. You know, our sage semi-sonic discuss that every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And there's a really beautiful thing about this. Our real sages, Rabbi Ben Bagbag, talks about hafokba, hafokba, vidikuleba, that you turn it, you turn it again, everything's in it. And when he says that, he means it regarding Torah, but it's used a lot at this time because truly as we are coming to the end of one scroll, 
we're reading the very, very last portion of Deuteronomy, we start immediately again with Bereshit and the first portions of Genesis, right? Our creation story. And so I think there's something really beautiful there that as we come to an end of something that we knew, we come back to a familiar space of a creation or a recreation, and we have some fun with it. When I think about having fun with the Torah portion, personally, I think of Midrash. I think of the rabbis delving into the minutia of little words and phrases and what they mean and how they might connect to other places in Torah and what's missing and what needs explaining. And one thing that gets pulled out that I really appreciate, it comes up in the Babylonian Talmud in Baba Batra. It says that there are six people over whom the angel of death had no power. And those six people were Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And there are assorted justifications for the inclusion of the patriarchs, but the main concern is the latter three are Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And the reason that it said that the angel of death had no power over them is that for those three people, uniquely those three people, they died alpi Adonai by the mouth of the eternal. Could also be read as at the command of the eternal, but there's some midrash that gets done that gets thought up about alpi Adonai. What does it mean to die by the mouth? And so some of these rabbis, some of these midrashists point to the creation of man all the way back at the beginning, or as Amanda said, what we'll be reading just after this is that God breathes life into man. The thought being that so too can God breathe out life. And so we see this as the kiss of death, which is a really incredible idea. The idea that God would remove life through a kiss, through something intimate and personal. I think there's something really beautiful about that. It's funny, as I'm sitting here thinking about that, I was like, oh, you mean like the Dementors in Harry Potter, right? Like who do the same thing, that there's like this really intimate moment. Shout out to Julia Bennett and Rachel Hirschman, who will really appreciate bringing Harry Potter into Vizod HaBracha. But I think you're right. I think there's something intimate about the fact that God is doing it on its own merit right? This idea of God is not asking anyone else to get involved in this very intimate act. And death is an intimate act. Even in Moses' death, God buries Moses' God's self. That's pretty intimate. There's something anthropomorphic about God's actions throughout this Torah portion, right? There's the anthropomorphic idea of God kissing Moses or drawing out Moses. So, There's a lot going on in this Midrash, but what I love so much more than anything else about this Midrash is this idea that all of the spirits and the souls of the dead and the living are in God's keeping. They're in God's care. And those souls are placed into human bodies, but the souls are always, always the property of God. They're in God's care, under God's protection. And God fixes the period of stay within the body. And to me, having just come out of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, this really reminds me of our High Holy Day liturgy, where we say, 
who shall live and who shall die, that God is predetermining death. I think that's a really difficult question that many of us grapple with. And I think that you just with that midrash gave me and, and hopefully our listeners some comfort in knowing that there is some plan to the chaos, right? Like there's this idea of there's some sort of control out there that might really be looking out for us and making sure that things are in the places that they're meant to be. What's interesting, though, about that, the place they're meant to be, is that we don't know the place of Moses' burial. I love that idea that all it says in the Torah could be translated as he buried him. We have no idea who he is. Some midrashists, some rabbis claim that it was Joshua that buried Moses. But as Amanda pointed out earlier, a much more common reading is actually God buried Moses. And there's this whole idea that not only did God bury Moses, that Moses merited a burial of God, but this idea that nobody knows of his burial place. And there are stories of people trying to find it and people going out and climbing this mountain, which is a real mountain. You can go there. There's a shrine at the top of it. But people going out and searching and they see it on one of the other cliffs. And by the time they get there, it's moved somewhere else. And there's something really incredible about that, about Moses, this incredibly holy man who is pure enough that his soul couldn't leave his body, who is pure enough that God not only removed the soul with a kiss, but also that God buried Moses, that Moses is buried in an unmarked and unknown grave. I think there's something incredibly powerful about that idea that Moses' grave is not only not a shrine, it's not only not somewhere that we pray, it's not a sacred space, it is no place at all. I think there's something incredibly powerful about this man who was great in his life, and we're still reading this story thousands of years later, certainly great after his life, but his body is gone and it doesn't matter. And so instead, we are left with these stories and God is left with the soul. Commenting on this very Torah portion, Rabbi Chama Barchanina doesn't even focus on the mystery of where the grave is, but focuses on that idea of Moses' soul being with God and says, after their death, the righteous are even more beloved by God than well alive. It's been said that the tyrant's power ends at their death, but that the martyrs begins at their death. And now reading this, the end of the five books of Moses, again, thousands of years later, we're still reading this. Maybe not only are the righteous even more beloved by God than while they were alive, but as we restart the five books of Moses again, perhaps they're even more beloved by us as well. Hey, Gabe. Hey, Amanda. You know, I really, really enjoyed the High Holy Days with my Shari Tefila community at Caramore. 
but I'm feeling like a little, a little blue, right? Like it's really lovely to have this really hard thing be over with and the pressure kind of be off. And also like, it's a little sad. I don't know. It feels a little bittersweet to me, right? Like, you know, that there's just something missing and I'm looking for something to lift me up, something that might match my mood. Do you have anything like that for this week's Midrashic Mixology? You know, I think I might. In honor of that feeling, in honor of both the joy and sadness at completing our Torah readings for the year, we present the bittersweet kiss. Start by rimming a glass with bittersweet chocolate shavings. Do this by grating the chocolate very finely, placing a very thin rim of chocolate syrup on the glass with your fingertip, and dipping in the chocolate shavings to coat. In a cocktail shaker, combine one ounce of chocolate liqueur, one ounce of creme de cacao, one ounce of coffee vodka, and one ounce of half and half or milk of your preferred dairiness. For the vodka, I'm a big fan of Death Wish Coffee Vodka, which has the added bonus of truly making this drink the kiss of death. Shake with ice and strain into your prepared martini glass. Finally, drop in a single Hershey kiss, unwrap it first, to sink to the bottom of the opaque drink, obscured as Moses' final resting place. For a non-alcoholic version, use one and a half ounces of half and half or milk of your preferred dairiness, one and a half ounces of chocolate syrup, and a shot of espresso. Shake with ice, strain into the prepared glass, and give it a kiss. Delicious as it is, there's something bittersweet about this cocktail. Maybe it's the bittersweet chocolate, maybe it's the coffee, or maybe it's just that this is the last parasha. Don't worry, though, we'll be rolling back our Torah scrolls and mixing up new drinks next week. Chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek. May we all be as strong as our heaviest pores. And, as always, l'chaim. Not only does that sound great, but I really can't wait to try to find that Hershey kiss at the bottom. My priority isn't the drink itself, obviously. It's like bobbing for apples, but different. <laughs> right. I, I drop it in and then go hunting for it. Mm. Very good. Something tells me that Edan would have more than one. I'm just I'm just thinking that Edan might cheat and put in like five. No, I think it's a delicious drink. It's really creative. Gabe, your puns were on point today. Listeners, I can honestly and truly say I had not heard any part of this drink's recipe before he read it. And I laughed. I thought it was very funny. And yeah, like a little sad. It's a little crazy to think that the next time we record any done well for us too, we're heading into season two, you know, with our new rollover. And so that's very exciting. And hazak, hazak, v'nit hazak, you know, truly strength, strength. May we all be strengthened and may this drink not be as sweet as I imagine that it really is going to be. We've reached that point in our episode. Thank yous and closing cues as we do each week. This week, Amanda and Idan. We have just exited the high holy days, this period of the year when we do some serious cheshbon hanefesh, when we really think about where we are in our lives, where we might have come short, and also just how we're feeling. We really take stock of where we are. So to take stock both for the High Holy Days and as we're about to restart the Torah, I want to know what were your favorite or 
most memorable moments of the podcast so far. Because Edan will need extra time to think about it. Amanda, let's start with you. So I've said this before, and I really want to underline it, that if you're going to go into a project like this, sharing it with two of your favorite people is the way to, to do it. I think my favorite part of the podcast in itself has really been working with you and Edan to create something special. And just the fun that we've had doing it. I know that people who have believed in us and funders and grantors have looked at, especially me and you, Gabe, when we've been in meetings and said, you know, the most impressive thing about all of this is even through all the hard work, like you guys are clearly having fun. And I think that's real. I I think that anyone who listened to last week's episode will realize that when it's the three of us together doing something, we're having a good time. And so for me... The fact that we've really put together something meaningful and enjoyed doing it and have always made sure to put our friendship above everything else has been a treasure. It's been one of the best things that I think I've done with my life thus far. Edan? Well, obviously, I think it's the worst thing I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's been really cool that this has been such a consistent thing since we started that it's something that we can consistently rely on happening each week and that's having something in your life that's consistent and reliable like that is something really nice that you could uh, I was gonna say that you can rely on but I just said it's reliable so you can rely on it that doesn't make sense you know for me I love working with both of you I love having this consistent thing even when it's sometimes annoying when Amanda says hey, Gabe, have you done the rundown or the drink for this week? And I say, not yet. So I really do love this project. And I think what I love the most is the amount that I've learned. I've learned so much from doing this podcast, both just from reading through the Torah portion every week and creating these distilled Parsha rundowns. I know more Torah than I really ever have. And even more than that, I think I've learned a lot about both our guests and also about myself. I think of one of our earliest episodes, episode four, with John Bridge, Parashat Toldot. And John Bridge, the chief programming officer at AEPI International, talked about brotherhood. And he talked about brotherhood in being an AEPI professional He talked about it through the lens of the fraternity. And for me, I wasn't a fraternity person. My undergrad institution didn't have Greek life. It's not something I was ever interested in. I didn't really expect to love the episode. And everything he said, I ended up just relating to. And I think that that was true of so many episodes where I learned so much. My thoughts, my ideas were reframed. And I got a lot of new perspectives. I hope that that was the same for our listeners, that we really broadened the horizons of what Judaism can be, what sacred work can be, and truly what Torah can be. We would love to hear from you about your favorite moments of this podcast, about what you've learned, about what you think of drinking and drashing Torah with a twist. We would love to hear from you either on our Facebook page or our Instagram page or our Twitter feed or really any other way to contact us. And until then, l'chaim. L'chaim. L'chaim.
it's really great. I, I don't know what else to say other than like I've been really enjoyed working on this. It's been so cool. People are great. Love working on it every week, all the time. It's great. Like what could I, what else could I possibly say? The point is, I love it.